Greetings and thank you for tuning into this podcast focused on GLP-1 receptor agonists entitled Avoiding Treatment Delays, Case Conversations in Type 2 Diabetes. Our learning objectives for this podcast are to summarize the guidelines around the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists, highlighting the recent changes which encourage earlier initiation in diabetes care and consideration of comorbidities. We will also outline how to use patient-centered care to approach common barriers in developing and adjusting a diabetes care management plan. I am Lucia Novak, nurse practitioner, and I am the owner and president of Diabetes Consulting Services located in North Bethesda, Maryland, And today I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Dr. Tina Tatey, the Associate Investigator and Endocrinologist for Advent Health Translational Research Institute in Orlando, Florida. So let's get right into our case. And our case is named Bruce. He is a 42-year-old man who was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes about three months ago. He has high indicators of Uh, risk factors for cardiovascular disease, obesity, familial hypercholesterolemia, strong family history of CVD, and early CV death. His father passed away at the age of 49, unfortunately, and his mom at the age of 54, both due to a heart attack. Bruce also has non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which we know as NAFLD, Bruce is not active and also has a poor diet. He did not see a diabetes care and education specialist when he was initially diagnosed because he was too busy, but now he would like to. So his vitals include a BMI of 36. So he definitely has a class two obesity. His blood pressure is well controlled at 120 over 80. And thankfully, He does not smoke. His current hemoglobin A1C, however, is 8.5%. His LDL cholesterol is 110 milligrams per deciliter, but he is on a max dose of a statin and he does take it as directed. When we look at his kidney function, his estimated glomerular filtration rate is 95 milliliters per minute, and he is not currently excreting albuminuria. His medications include metformin, titrated to max dose, so 2,000 milligrams daily, rosuvastatin, azidamide, and ovalucumab. So Tina, what would you recommend as an individualized care management plan for Bruce? So first of all, Lucia, I think you have worded it very correctly by saying that we need to come up with an individualized care plan for Bruce as really, when you look at it, that ought to be the case with each and every patient that we see. You know, when it comes to a disease state such as diabetes, and this certainly could apply to so many other disease states, um, there really is no one size fit all. So yes, an individualized patient-centered concept of care, which is very much integrated into the principles of the guidelines recommended by the ADA which is the American Diabetes Association, is what we need to follow for Bruce as well. 
And you know, the 2022 ADA standards of care do stress that the treatment intensification should not be delayed for patients that are not meeting treatment goals. So that's something that definitely comes up in Bruce's case as well. So he is ripe for us to make an intervention and I could not agree with you more. We are dealing with therapeutic inertia lately, as far as clinicians are concerned. And therapeutic inertia is the delaying of treatment intensification. And we know that this needs to not be delayed. So then that brings up another question. How long do we wait to see significant changes or lack thereof before we intensify treatment, Tina? Excellent question, Lucia, as I think we do need to clarify this for our colleagues as well. So, you know, the time frame for reassessment and treatment intensification, if needed, should be three to six months as per the ADA guidelines. And, you know, it has been three months since Bruce was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I think as we discuss these things with Bruce, we should also let him know the reason behind this early intensification of treatment that is recommended. So the um, ADA guidelines stress the importance of obtaining adequate glycemic control as early as possible to maximum long-term outcome, which translates into preventing the complications of diabetes. And the other thing to discuss with Bruce is that type 2 diabetes is a progressive disease. We should aim to intensify medication regimen early on for optimal control to extend the time to treatment failure. So what does this really mean? And, you know, we know that with time, the pancreatic reserve may certainly decrease. And this results in the need for additional medication or medications um, for adequate control of diabetes. So this is what we mean by treatment failure when additional medications are needed for optimal control. So when diabetes is not controlled, this may certainly accelerate the process as well. So that's another important underlying concept for Bruce to understand because his A1C is not controlled. And, you know, his A1C is 8.5. Um, and so certainly getting to an optimally controlled A1C of less than 7%. However, without any regular and substantial pattern of hypoglycemia, this comes front and center for Bruce. And so along with the glycemic control, certainly comes a consideration for his comorbid conditions and his risk factors. Absolutely, Tina. I could not have said that better myself. And you know, the 2022 ADA guidelines, which is actually a living document, it gets updated every time the science shows uh, a benefit, um, state that a patient-centered approach should guide the choice of pharmacologic agents. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we need to consider the effects of cardiovascular as well as renal comorbidities, the efficacy of the medication, keeping in mind his A1C of 8.5, the risk for hypoglycemia, the impact of these medications on weight, preferably weight neutral or if possible, weight loss, 
risks for side effects, patient preferences, and of course, cost and access. Now, Bruce does have obesity with a BMI of 36. He also has non-alcoholic fatty liver disease that warrants improvement as well. Fortunately, Bruce has not had a cardiovascular event, but he certainly does have risks and risk reduction is warranted so that the clinical cardiovascular disease can be prevented. This can be done by adding either a GLP-1 receptor agonist and or an SGLT2 inhibitor with proven cardiovascular risk reduction. So Tina, what do you think? Which of those two classes would be a better option for Bruce? So you know, Lucia, in Bruce's case, a GLP-1 receptor agonist definitely sounds like a better choice. And that is because these agents have demonstrated greater weight reductions in clinical trials as compared to SGLT2 inhibitors. So as we know, obesity itself is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease and chronic kidney disease. So thus helping Bruce lose weight is beneficial not only for his type two diabetes, but it'll definitely help alleviate the mechanical effects of obesity that our patients experience and also help to mitigate any future cardiovascular disease or chronic kidney disease trajectory as well. So, you know, Bruce needs to know, and I think this will help him prepare himself, that when he does start using a GLP-1 receptor agonist, he will lose weight. He can certainly expect a decrease in his A1C, which is needed, and not to mention the parameters that we measure for his non-alcoholic fatty liver disease will improve as well. And he certainly does need improvement in his NAFILs. Of course, improvement in blood pressure and his lipid profile is also a very welcome effect. So with all these effects, you know, something to really help Bruce understand um, as well is that when he goes through these changes, he can also expect an overall improvement in the quality of life. So I think all these are important concepts for Bruce to understand. And so Lucia, you know, we've been discussing the treatment options and their benefits. So I'll turn to you to see what else can we help Bruce with now? I do recall that Bruce has now been receptive to learning about self-management of diabetes. So what are your thoughts on this topic, Lucia? That's a great question. I'm glad that we are actually circling back to his desire for education in his disease management. We know how critically important uh, diabetes management education is for patients and their families. And since Bruce is now ready to learn, referring him to a diabetes care and education specialist for management on type two diabetes without any delay is needed to give him the life skills he needs for management of type two. I would like to throw in here that there are actually four key times that patients should be referred for diabetes education. One is at diagnosis. So that's where Bruce is right now. Anytime there is a therapeutic change in the diabetes management, anytime there is a change in his status, so if he were to develop complications microvascular or additional comorbidities, 
And then of course, annually, just as clinicians need to maintain their continuing education because things change over time, the patients also need to keep up on changes with their disease as it progresses. Diabetes self-management education and support includes counseling on topics such as eating patterns, meal planning, physical activity, smoking cessation if needed. Fortunately, Bruce does not smoke. It can also provide him with psychosocial support to facilitate knowledge, decision-making, and provide him the skills necessary for diabetes self-care. It should always be patient-centered and key goals and clinical outcomes, health status, patient well-being should be measured as part of the routine care. Studies have found that diabetes education and support is associated with improved diabetes knowledge and self-care behaviors, lower A1C, lower self-reported weight, positive coping behaviors, and importantly, improved quality of life and reduced all-cause mortality risk and reduced healthcare costs. It can occur simultaneously while advancing his medication and is considered a step in his therapeutic plan. You know, Lucia, that was a wonderful discussion and uh, learning about self-management of diabetes is the pillar of lifelong changes that one needs to make. And if I may say so, you know, you see patients always welcoming the offer to get a refresher in diabetes education with time. And, you know, you also mentioned another very critical consideration that when offering diabetes education classes to patients, we should let them know that it's helpful if their family members attend as well. This can really help them institute lifestyle changes as a family unit, which is certainly more desirable and practical to implement. And not to mention the benefit that the other family members are going to derive from participation as well. They absolutely do welcome that offer with time. And you know, I think with time, educating patients on recent updates about diabetes as a disease state is also helpful. So yes, this is what I would discuss and I would show the ominous octet to the patient, the actual illustration to, to emphasize that type two diabetes is a disease and not a lifestyle choice that is often the shame and blame that is associated with the diagnosis of type two diabetes as well as its comorbid obesity. We as clinicians are certainly concerned with glycemic control and decreasing risk factors and therefore the comorbidities, but we need to discuss what is important for the patient as well. It is important to talk about overall quality of life and the positive impact seen with better control of diabetes. You know, we've had such a robust discussion about what changes to help Bruce with. However, he is reluctant to start another medication. How often do we hear that? He says he would rather work on diet and exercise for several months 
to see whether another medication is really necessary. And this is where that shame and blame actually comes in. Patients believe that if they would just eat right and do the right exercise, everything would be better. And that is really why I emphasize the ominous octet to show them that there are eight pathological reasons inside their body, regardless of what they're eating and the exercise they do, that continues to progress and contribute to their hyperglycemia. So why would you encourage him to advance pharmacotherapy now rather than only engaging in lifestyle changes? Thank you, Lucia. You know, this again is a scenario that is so quite commonly encountered in clinical practice, right? There's a stigma that is associated with adding on medications. Patients may feel a sense of failure. And I'd like to explain to Bruce here the importance of additional medications with a conversation around the 2022 ADA guidelines that do recommend advancing therapy rapidly for optimal control every three to six months, as we've been discussing. Also important for Bruce to know are the reasons behind these recommendations, which we, you and I have talked at length as well. However, I do think we can certainly highlight some facts for Bruce and explain to him that controlling type 2 diabetes adequately as early as possible can minimize long-term complications of diabetes. Adding a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor can help reduce cardiovascular risk, regardless of the A1C. And I think it's certainly a very important point for him to understand here as well. And, you know, a good opportunity to let him know that even if his A1C was less than 7%, addition of a GLP-1 receptor agonist would certainly be beneficial for him, for his cardiovascular health trajectory, and because he is at high risk for cardiovascular disease, even though he has not had an event yet. I would tell Bruce that treating diabetes is an integral part of diabetes management, and the GLP-1 receptor agonist certainly can help with weight reduction, which of course would lead to a decrease in the mechanical effects of obesity, which I think is a very important point to discuss with patients. You know, we quite often focus on the metabolic benefits of weight loss. We should also talk about the uh, reduction in the mechanical effects of obesity as well with weight loss. And of course, with weight reduction, one must not forget that patients do feel better overall which does lead to an improvement in their self-esteem as well. You know, it's important for us as clinicians to keep in mind that the longer a patient has uncontrolled diabetes, you know, Lucia, they may not know what it feels like to feel well and healthy. So I think a conversation along these lines can certainly resonate with some patients and in fact make them more receptive to make the change that's needed. And this highlights the importance of open communication and patient education in improving medication uptake and adherence. So unless we don't listen to patients' concerns with an open mind and heart, it can be difficult to understand the reasoning behind their hesitancy. So I think an open discussion that fosters transparency certainly paves the way to a trusting physician-patient relationship, which does ultimately benefit the patient. 
So with that, Lucia, any other tips that you can provide as to how we can help patients overcome the barriers to early treatment advancement and help them to embrace self-management to optimize their long-term health? Over to you, Lucia. First of all, Tina, I want to really commend you on your thorough description and how you handled the discussion with Bruce by really focusing in on the benefits of well-managed diabetes rather than the doom and gloom of poorly managed diabetes, which we simply know is not an effective way to motivate patients to be engaged in their care. As far as any other tips that I would like to add, Um, I would like to focus on the fact that diabetes care requires an approach that places the person with diabetes and their family or whoever their support system is at the center of the care model, working in collaboration with us, the healthcare professionals. When speaking with a patient who is hesitant to advance therapy, it is crucial to remember that patient-centered care is respectful of and responsive to their individual preferences, needs, and values. It ensures that patient values guide the decision-making. In order for Bruce to buy into starting another medication, and in particularly a GLP-1 receptor agonist, and of course being adherent with its use, There needs to be open communication and shared decision-making between him and his clinician. This has been such a wonderful discussion, Tina. Do you have any closing remarks to share with us? Thank you, Lucia. Yes, I have certainly enjoyed a conversation. And, you know, in summary, I would say type 2 diabetes is a progressive disease. Suboptimally controlled type 2 diabetes and the associated risk factors contribute to development of microvascular and macrovascular disease. Therefore, optimal glycemic control with agents that do not cause hypoglycemia help reduce cardiovascular risk, lead to weight reduction, should be really implemented in patients' regimen sooner rather than later. So, you know, even though Bruce has only received his diagnosis of type 2 diabetes three months ago, advancing his therapy now is really crucial to improving his long-term health. And for a patient such as Bruce, I think it's important to make him realize that a GLP-1 receptor agonist is the right therapeutic option for him at this time. And as clinicians, we really should be prepared to help our patients overcome their hesitancy of any medications, especially if they're injectables, and any adding on of medications as well, if need be. I think open communication and a multidisciplinary management plan involving diabetes care and education specialists and diabetes self-management education and the support can foster a trusting relationship between the patient and the clinician and All these factors together stand to have a positive impact on the patient's health trajectory. So with that, thank you so much, Lucia. Excellent. They were some really great teaching points, Tina. Thank you so very much. To our audience, 
both Dr. Tatey and myself, thank you for joining us. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit. Thank you and have a great day.